God's good, isn't he? And however hot it is out there, I want you to know it is a lot hotter up here, all right? Because there are lights on my ear, okay, and on my glistening brow, which is very attractive. Um, so uh, as hot as it gets for you, just have a little thought that it's not as hot for you as it is for me. Is that all right? So when I collapse, you can collapse. Okay, here we go. So here's a question for you this morning. Who of you this morning would consider themselves to be normal? <laughs> Stefan and Lisa, you really aren't. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't mean that. I did, actually. You see, like, what does normal actually mean? I got this book called Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them, which is a great title of a book on relationship and on community. Now, my other question is, if we don't really know what normal is, what is the normal Christian life? You see, was the early church that we read about in the book of Acts, was that normal Christian living or was that abnormal? Actually, it was normal, wasn't it? The problem is that what we've done in our culture and what I've done in my life is I've redefined normal to be what I do. So this is normal Christian living and then we can sometimes look at the Bible and we can look at the greats and we can look at other parts of the world and say that's abnormal, that's a little weird, that's kind of special, whereas what we do is normal. Here's a statement. It is abnormal for a Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. Discuss. It's like one of those exam questions, isn't it? It is abnormal for a Christian not to have an appetite for the impossible. I wonder if in our culture and in our generation, I know certainly in my own life, whether we have redefined normal to be down here, whereas God says, actually, this is normal, guys. What you're living in is subnormal. It's like way below normal. I just want to get you up to normal. Because normal Christian living is where we have an appetite for the impossible of what God can do. And last week we began looking at this series and we said that we would just go back a little bit and talk about the early Elim and Pentecostal pioneers who at the beginning of the 20th century, God got a hold of them by his Holy Spirit and ordinary working class people up and down the country were just filled with the Spirit of God and churches were born and lots of people became Christians and they based their understanding of God on this idea of the four square gospel that Jesus was healer or is healer, baptizer, <laughs> saviour, healer, baptizer, and coming king. And we looked at saviour last week, so we're going to look at healer this week. Here's a couple of stories from that era. This is from the life of George Jeffries, who was the guy that founded Elim, which is the, ch- the stream of churches that we belong to. It says that of those who testified at one of his meetings, there were 72 guaranteed cures of cancer and malignant growths. 20 had been crippled, 17 had been blind, 70 had been afflicted with stiff muscles or useless limbs, and 18 had been deaf. Another occasion, over 1,200 were swept into the kingdom in one campaign held in Brighton. 300 gave testimony to the Lord's healing power. One who attended the meeting writes, hundreds of people have testified in the meeting to having been healed. People who only a few weeks ago were bedridden or wheeled about in chairs are today walking and praising God for his kindness in healing them. Lame ones who moved only by the aid of crutches are able to dispense with these. Deaf ones have been made to hear, blind ones to see. Fourteen testified to having been cured of cancer, tuberculosis or tumour. And it wasn't just in in Elim, but other people were being raised up in the 30s and the 40s. And one of the most famous was a guy called Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody heard of him? 
Okay, I'm sure you have from the north of England. Very great. If you've ever read his biography, uh, it, it's, it's an amazing read because that guy could not speak. He stat- stuttered and stammered like I'm doing now, and he just couldn't speak. And uh, God raised him up to be an amazing communicator. And uh, he had a very interesting way of praying for the sick. It says Smith Wigglesworth considered every type of sickness the work of the enemy. Once he identified which part of the body was hurting, he would punch the patient in that area of the body. When asked why he would hit the sick, he would reply, I don't hit people, I hit the devil. The people just get in the way. We're not going to try that this morning. Can I just say that? Ministry team, we're not going to do that this morning, a little bit later on. Through his ministry, people regained their hearing and sight. New limbs were created, cancerous growths disappeared, and the demon-possessed were delivered. He's also credited for raising 23 people from the dead. Is that normal? Abnormal? Subnormal? What is normal? What is normal? And I know this morning that as we open up this subject of healing, that there's going to be a variety of responses from you in the room, depending on your own experience with this issue and this subject. For some people, it's a relief because you know what it's like to have been healed by God. Anyone say this morning that they've ever been physically healed by God? That you know that you've been healed by God? Many of you. Anyone been healed, not physically, but in other ways in your life by God? And much more of you. So you know, when you've, been, when you've had that experience, you know what it's like. The great story in church history of a, of a bishop called Bishop Innocent. This is centuries ago. And Bishop Innocent was suffering from a condition called fistulae, which if you don't know what it is, it's in the bottom area. Is that all right? So let's just leave it there. All right? Very, very painful. And he was prayed for by the brothers in this monastery and he fell to the ground. And it says then that... The, and I, I quote, the part of the body, the, the, the issue at the part, the bottom, was laid bare and the knife was about to be inserted. But as they approached, they found nothing wrong. Listen to the words of the bishop once he'd regained composure. No words can describe the joy, the praise and the thanksgiving to the merciful. There's a knife coming, no anesthetic, there's a knife coming towards the guy's butt. The thanksgiving to the merciful and mighty God, which has poured forth from the lips of all with tears and gladness. Then he says this, let the scene be imagined rather than described. (laughs) That's great, as I've just done. So to some of you, it's a relief. You think, yeah, God has healed me. Fantastic. To some of you, this is a confusion. Why are some people healed and others aren't? Does that mean they're better than them? Does that mean they have more faith? And to some of you, it's not only a confusion, it's actually a real challenge. Because you know what it is to have prayed and prayed and prayed and had words from God, you felt, for someone's healing, whether yours or someone else's, and it didn't happen. And I know many people who have turned their back, just in that picture that I felt I had earlier on, that have turned their back on God because of this issue. Because God didn't heal their loved one. Because God gave words they felt and it didn't come to me. So I know that this is not just an academic, theoretical subject. This is a big deal for many people in this room. And to some of you this morning, this issue is like a desire. There's just a hunger within your belly for more of this. When I started talking and and talking about and said those stories, some of you inside were going, yes, we want to see more of this. Some of you are saying, I'm not sure. That's okay. I want to talk to all of you this morning about this issue. Let me state where I'm at today. I believe that God heals today. I believe that we should pray for the sick 
Because God tells us to do it, and I believe if we do it, we will see people healed. But it comes with a challenge. It comes with a challenge. God's ways are higher than ours. And there will be some occasions when we'll pray and pray and pray, and we won't see what we expect the answer to be. We won't see it. And we'll have questions and we'll have disappointments and we'll have issues and we'll have to deal with that and kind of lick our wounds and encourage one another and go on. But I tell you this, we will pray for the sick until Jesus comes because that's what he's commanded us to do. And we have to park some of these reasons and some of these other questions to one side and say, God, you are higher than us. We don't understand that. We have to leave this in your court. I also want to say this morning a couple of things which I'm going to say later on. There is a deeper meaning to healing than what we see in front of our eyes. And secondly, there is a deeper healing than physical healing. And we're going to look at that a little bit later. So first, just a little bit of theology on healing. God's nature is to heal. It's kind of who God is. When he created the creation, he put within the creational thing uh, the ability to heal. So you cut yourself and your skin and your body begins to heal itself. There's something in the nature of God it put within creation of healing. The first time that God reveals himself as a healer to his people is in Exodus chapter 15 verse 26. When the Israelites are going through the, the desert and, and he said, I am the Lord, I am Jehovah Rapha, I am the God who heals you. The very next verse says, then they came to the waters of Elim. And that's where the name Elim comes from. It was springs in the desert. So there's a real connection between healing and between the word Elim. So God's nature is to heal. Jesus is a revelation of God on the earth, isn't he? And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Jesus said, I only do that which I see my Father doing. So if the Father's nature is to heal, Jesus is a revelation of that and as the embodiment of that. And God on the earth does what his Father does. And so he says in Luke chapter 4, he quotes the verses from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and also recovery of sight to the blind. And so if God's nature is to heal and Jesus only does what his Father does, then Jesus then commissions the church to be his hands, his feet, his revelation of who he is on the earth. So God's nature is to heal. Jesus does what he sees his Father doing and then Jesus commissions the church to do what? He's doing. And so in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, Jesus says to the disciples, as you go, have a nice day. He doesn't say that. He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. So Jesus says, listen, I only do what I see my father doing and he's a healer. So that's what I'm doing. And now I send you out to do the same as well. So that's a little theology on healing, a little. But what about some of the questions that we have? One of the questions people have is, is healing in the atonement? And by the atonement, I mean that's the technical word for what Jesus did on the cross. It means at one, that that he has made us at one with God. By taking the punishment that was supposed to be on, on us, he took upon himself. So he paid for our sin on the cross. Did he also pay for our sickness physically as well? One of the key verses for this is Isaiah 53, where it says, Surely he took up our infirmities, which is prophetic, speaking of Christ, and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. 
There's some debate about whether that is talking about sin, uh, you know, the scars and the wounds of sin, or about sickness, or both. Let me say what I believe. I believe that Christ's work on the cross did pay for my sin and for our sickness, but not in the same way. In other words, I believe that, 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 that um, salvation from my sin is automatic, but healing is not automatic. So the Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. It doesn't say everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be healed. And so I do believe that Christ has paid for that through his atoning work on the cross. But it doesn't come to us in the automatic way that salvation does once we genuinely ask for it. And there are some issues within this that we're going to have to say this is the tension of the now and the not yet. We see in part, don't we? We look through a glass dimly. We don't understand. That leads on to the second question. Why are some people healed and some people not? And there can be a whole host of reasons Unbelief, sin, unforgiveness, lack of faith. But I want to say clearly, in my opinion and in my experience, the vast, vast, vast majority of people who are not healed are not healed through no fault of their own or nothing that they could do. I don't believe in going through a whole list of all these different issues that put the onus on you for your healing because actually the onus is on God. And I think people who are sick... You know, especially if you've been sick for a long time, you feel bad enough as it is without someone telling you that if you only had a little more faith, if you only prayed in this way, you only did that, you only did that, you only did the other. And I think, I I really, I don't think that's helpful at all. And there may be occasions where there are issues of blockage that we can do something about, but they're really small in comparison to all of the other, of, of the reality that we just don't know the answer to everything. So I want to look in the last 10 minutes or so and then we want to open some space for us to engage with God and with his spirit today. And I want to build some faith in us and also bring some teaching in. There is a deeper meaning to healing. It's not just about you getting your sickness healed or even a different kind of healing. There's a deeper meaning to healing. Healings are signs pointing at what is to come. You know the miracles that Jesus did on the earth did not put right planet earth. You know that, don't you? You see, some people would convince you that if only we saw more and more healings, this world would be put back together again. Jesus didn't do that. With all the healings Jesus did, the planet is still fallen. The planet is still fallen. We're still part of creation that's groaning. One day, this planet will be put right. Aren't you glad about that? But that's coming. They're signs pointing, hinting, suggesting, showing what will happen in the future. Now, When you exit a building, you do not go through the exit sign, do you? Where do you go to get out? It's not a trick question. You go through the door. You don't go through the sign. You go through the door. When you want to put a fire out, you don't beat the fire out with the fire extinguisher sign that points to the extinguisher. You get the extinguisher, don't you? And yet we can be so fixated with signs, we forget that signs are pointing to something greater. And Jesus said, you know, to his people in his day, you're a wicked and adulterous generation that look for a sign. We need to be careful that we don't get fixated on these signs that point towards something far greater. We live on a fallen planet. Sickness, disease, pain, suffering, death is part of our existence. But great news, it won't always be like that. We look forward to that, don't we? But that's the reality that we live in. So there's signs. 
healings are also statements about the heart of God for people. Just look in John chapter 9 if you can, if you've got a Bible. This is a great story in John chapter 5, sorry, chapter 9. And this reveals a worldview of the time and something that I think we sometimes get into as well. It says in chapter 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You might think, oh, that's a really shocking thing to say. That's what everybody believed in the day of Jesus and the disciples. That if you were born with a sickness like this, or any kind of birth defect, or anything like that, that somebody must be to blame. Must be your sin, or the sin of your parents. And I have to say, we can also get like that sometimes, can't we? You ever been in any situation, it doesn't have to be a physical thing, anything, and something bad is happening in your life and you've said, what have I done wrong? Anyone thought like that? Now you may have done, I don't know, but most of the times, you probably haven't. A lot of the times you haven't, certainly with sickness. It just happens. And Jesus comes along and what he says is amazing. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then, he, and then he spits on the ground and puts it in his eyes and heals him. But the interesting thing, that's great, but this reveals the heart of God. He says, listen, I'm going to cut away all this rubbish that is making you feel even worse than you feel now. By this must be your fault or your parents' fault. And I'm going to tell you, it's no one's fault. This is there and I can display my glory through this situation. Now, does that mean that the only way that God displays his glory through healing is when you're healed? No, it doesn't. Remember I said about Smith Wigglesworth, amazing things. Smith Wigglesworth battled with sickness all of his life. In fact, sometimes when he'd been praying for people, he went into the vestry in the church or, or, the, or the auditorium he was in, and he'd take his shirt off and the back, his back was covered in blood. He had really bad uh, kind of stone issues and all kinds of issues. He was often really plagued with incredible pain and yet he saw people incredibly healed. Now you work that one out. I can't work that one out. The Apostle Paul said, I prayed for this affliction. Remember, he called it a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. He prayed three times that it would be taken from and as far as we know, it never was. He saw miracles. He saw healings. He battled through sickness or through some kind of affliction himself as well. And God's glory can be revealed, not just when you get healed, but by what God does in you in that process. One of my um, most kind of inspirational people, really, when I was growing up, I suppose, and had the privilege of meeting her once and working with her once at Spring Harvest, was a lady called Johnny Erickson. And you might remember that Johnny Erickson was a beautiful uh, 17-year-old girl uh, with all of her life in front of her, and she dived into a shallow lake swimming in America, and she hit the bottom, and she, she came up, and she was quadriplegic. She's been in a wheelchair ever since. She's learned to paint with a, uh, a brush in her mouth, and she wrote songs and written books, and has been an amazing speaker, beautiful, beautiful woman. She's been prayed for many, many, many times to be healed, and so far that's not happened. And she says in one of her books, Then I realised that this wheelchair has become the prison that set me free. To me, that's supernatural. That's the glory of God being revealed in this situation. She's not received a physical healing, but God has done something deeper in her life. It's a statement about God's heart and what God is up to. Matthew chapter 8, there's the man who has leprosy. (laughs) And the story goes in Matthew 8 verse 1 to 4 that Jesus comes along and, and you know, Leprosy in the days of Jesus was a huge deal. Not only was it physically a 
a death sentence, but socially it was. So, so that time, when that, when that man, when he's washing or cleaning, or perhaps when he's cleaning and he suddenly realises that there's blood coming from his mouth and there shouldn't be, or the ends of his fingers are starting to flake away and he thinks, oh, I've got leprosy. And he tries to hide it from his family and he tries to hide it from his community and eventually you can't hide it, it comes out. And then he knows what happens, the community are going to put him out of the community and he's going to be an outcast. And Jesus comes along and Jesus speaks a word that heals him, but Jesus also touches him. He doesn't have to do that. He does not have to touch him, but he does that because there's something about the heart of God through many of these healing stories that say, do you know what? I I can speak a word and heal you, but I want to do more than that. I want to touch you. I want to touch you. And I believe that the disease was cured by the word of Jesus, but the loneliness of the man was cured by the touch. And there's something when God touches your life, that it's not just about what he does. It's about the fact that he says, I love you, and you're not ostracized anymore, and you're not forgotten anymore, and you're not abandoned anymore, which is absolutely beautiful, isn't it? And that's what happens in this story. So there's a deeper healing than physical healing as well. I want to read something to you. And uh, when I read this story, actually, I, I said at the nine o'clock, I thought about a couple of things, the thing I'm going to say in a minute, but also I thought about Mike Harris, actually, because th- this story is a story um, that Tony Campolo tells of. Uh, he wasn't brought up in a Pentecostal tradition. He wasn't used to praying for people for healing. And he got put in a situation where he had to do that. And I'm going to describe it to you in a minute and you'll understand. But he talks about really wanting to spend time with people. And Mike does that when he prays for the sick, which I really value about Mike. And in two weeks tonight, on the 10th of July, we've got another meeting here in the evening where Mike will be here and praying for people who are sick. I really want to encourage you. Do it every month, every other month. And just really encourage you to invite people to come along and, and see what God, what God might do. But this is what Tony Campolo says. So he's in this situation where he's going to pray for people who are sick and he's not used to it. He says, I did not want to do this healing thing fast like some of the healers I see on television. I wanted to really talk to a person before I prayed and get a feel for what was on that person's heart. I wanted to hug each person and connect with him or her as deeply as I knew how. I did that with each of the people who stayed behind and in each case I put some olive oil that I brought along with me on each of their heads. It took more than an hour to pray through that little group but I did it. What intrigued me most was that most of the people who'd come for healing had nothing physically wrong with them. One man needed healing for an addiction to pornography. One woman wanted healing for her marriage. Someone else asked, healing, asked for healing for anger. But there were a few who did have physical illnesses. Four days later, I got a telephone call and the woman at the other end said, Tony, on Sunday you prayed for my husband. He had cancer. When I heard the word had, my heart quickened a bit. Had cancer, I asked. The woman answered, well, he's dead now. When she said that, I thought to myself, oh, my life. A lot of good I did. Then the woman said, no, you don't understand, Tony. When my husband and I walked into that church on Sunday, he was angry with God. He had cancer and he knew he was going to be dead soon. And he hated God for letting it happen. He wanted to see his grandchildren grow up more than anything. At night he would lie in bed and curse God. It was horrible. And the angrier he got towards God, the meaner he was to everyone around him. It was unbearable to be in the same room with him. His nastiness just kept getting worse and worse and worse. But then you laid hands on him on Sunday morning and you prayed for him. And when he walked out of church, I knew there was something different. I could feel it. He was a different person. The last four days of our lives have been the best four days we've ever had together. 
We talked and laughed. We even sang hymns with each other. It was a good, good time. She paused, then she added something really profound. She said this, Tony, he wasn't cured, but he was healed. Hmm. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. And you might think, oh, that's a bit of a cop-out. I don't think it's a cop-out at all. I think it's the miraculous, supernatural intervention of God that even when we're not cured, we can be healed. There's something deeper at stake in God's economy than just your physical healing. You know, he healed ten lepers, Jesus did. Nine of them ran off, never even said thank you. Only one turned around and said thank you. And God knows that miracles are not a guarantee that someone will reconnect their life to God and follow and love them, that they are not. They weren't in Jesus' day and they're not in our day now. They're great signs, but there's something far deeper that God is after than just physical healing. And so as we come towards an end, you may have a physical issue and you need physical healing. You may have another issue that you need healing of today. Relationally, you need healing. Sexually, you might need healing. You might need it emotionally. You might need it um, spiritually. There's all kinds of ways that you might need healing today. There are two questions which are absolutely vital for you to think about. The first one comes very clearly in John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, and I just love this story, it says, Jesus says, it says of Jesus, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the gate um, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. Here a great number of disabled people lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been lying in this condition, he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Duh, what a question is that? You're sick, he's been sick, lying by a pool for 38 years, and if you read the story, there's a superstition around that when the water's stirred, it's like the angel stirring it, and they try and get in, and every time he tries to get in, somebody beats him. So for 38 years, he's lying sick by the pool with that condition. And Jesus, the son of God, the prophet, comes along and says, do you want to get well? What a stupid question, isn't it? Isn't it? Or is it? Of course he wants to get well. Why then? Ask the question. Let me reframe it. Do you want to lose weight? Anyone? (laughs) Do you want to get fit? Do you want to be more loving, patient, generous, kind? Do you want to stop having lustful thoughts? Do you want to worry less? Do you want to witness more to other people? Do you want to really serve God? Do you want to make a contribution to God's kingdom? Do you want to stop swearing? Do you want to stop that habit? Do you want to get well? Of course, the answer is yes, but we don't. Why don't we? Medical survey done in the States, very respected survey, says, said that um, uh, heart specialists that when they uh, said to their patients, unless you change something about your lifestyle, it could be diet or alcohol consumption or exercise, unless you change, you will die. Do you know what the survey says? Only one in seven do it. So that's when a doctor says, if you do not change, you will die. Only one in seven do it. Do the other six want to die? Of course not. But there's something that goes on inside of us at a deep level 
which if you like, acts like a brake when we're putting our accelerator down. So we say, I want to get well, and something kicks in. Something stops us really getting well. And I don't mean this so much physically, okay, although it can be that. I think some of these other issues we're talking about, that's much more where I feel the Holy Spirit's at work in this morning, in, in this issue. And I wonder whether this man, Jesus says, do you want to get well? Because actually he's thinking, do you know what, mate? 38 years, you don't know anything else. Perhaps this has become your security now. Perhaps this is your income. What else are you going to do after 38 years? Perhaps this now has become your identity. Who are you if you're, if, if you're healed? Do you really want to get well? Or with the accelerator, are you also putting a breakdown at the same time? See, the Apostle Paul said, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, accelerator, I don't do. And what I hate, I do. It's like there's an accelerator and a brake, and I push them down at the same time. Do you want to get well? Physically, Yes, of course. What about in some of those other areas? Emotionally, relationally, sexually, psychologically. What, what about whatever? Do you really want to get well? And if the answer is yes, then the next question we're going to look at is really important. And this isn't stated, but it's implied in this beautiful little story in Matthew chapter 9. Just two verses, three verses. Matthew 9, verse 20. Verse 20, just then a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter, he said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. I love this story because this woman had been sick with this issue of blood for 12 years. Now, that's not just a physical issue. You know that, don't you? She's got sexual issues here. Husband won't touch her. She's got maternal issues. She can't have kids. She's got domestic issues. Everything she touches is considered unclean under the Jewish law. She has spiritual issues. She can't go into the temple. She has social issues. People don't want to go near her. For 12 years, and if you read the other versions of this story, it says she's tried everything and she has spent all the money she's had and nothing's changed. Does she want to get well? You bet your life she does. And the second question is this, do you want to get well? That's the first. The second one, what are you willing to do in order to get well? What are you willing to do in order to see healing at that level? What are you willing to do in order to to see healing at an emotional level or a psychological level or a spiritual level? What are you willing to do? You see, she says, if only I touch his cloak, I'll be healed. There's just like this massive word, if. If I can, so she comes out. She gets out of the door one day and she knows that Jesus is in town. But as she steps out, she looks left and right because she doesn't want people to see her because they think that she's unclean. And then she not only sees Jesus, but she sees he's surrounded by a massive crowd. So what she do? Well, you know, yeah, I kind of want to get well, but, you know, you know, whatever. And she shuts the door and goes back in. No, she doesn't do that. She says, I want to get well and I don't care who I touch in order to touch him. Because in order to touch Jesus, she had to touch other people in the crowd to get there, didn't she? And so in order to touch Jesus, she'll do anything it takes in order to touch Jesus. And you know the amazing thing is, her healing did not begin with Jesus' touch, it began with her touch. Isn't that amazing? Two things happen here in this story that don't happen anywhere else in the New Testament. Number one, Jesus heals before he even knows it, he doesn't know it, because she touches him. And secondly, he looks at her and he calls her daughter. It's the only time he ever does that directly, where he looks at her and he says, daughter, your faith has saved you, you're well. What an amazing thing, isn't it? So not only does this power go out from him, 
but he calls her daughter. And I want to say to you this morning as we close, your healing, whatever level of healing it is, will begin when you do something. Write a letter. Write a letter to the person you don't like, who's hurt you, and you know that there's an issue of forgiveness, an issue of relational healing. Write a letter. Pick up the phone. Perhaps you need to confess to someone so that you can get healing for that addiction to pornography. Perhaps you need to go and see a doctor because there's something physically wrong with you. Your healing may well begin by seeing a doctor. It may be that you come and ask for prayer today. But we have to do something for our healing to really begin. And wouldn't it be amazing if actually... When we do do that, and when we do push out, wouldn't it be incredible just to know that God values that more than anything? Do you know that? God said to her, daughter, daughter, the only time he ever does it. Imagine how she felt with all the other people looking around saying, oh, he's going to tell her off now because she's pushed through the crowd. She shouldn't have done that. Do you know what I mean? And Jesus is going to say, why did you do that, you unclean woman? But he's telling his daughter. Isn't that phenomenal? That's our God, isn't it? That's our God. And this morning, God wants to touch us. And I believe the healer is in the house today. And he wants to touch us. And that may be physical, but there's a lot more other issues that God wants to speak into this morning. Let's pray. Let's pray. I want us just to close our eyes for a moment. If only I could touch his cloak. (laughs) Do you want to get well? Yes. What are you willing to do? I'm willing to push through. I'm willing to, for some of you, you, you're immediately thinking, I've done that, done that, done that, check, check, done it, done it, tick, tick, tick. Perhaps for you, it's, are you willing to do it again? You know, every time you touch Jesus, something happens. You might not get that healing that you're looking for right there and then. But every time in faith you reach out to Jesus, something happens. Whether you know it or not, whether you feel it or not, whether anything happens physically or not, something happens in faith whenever you reach out in faith to God. And so this morning I want to give many of you an opportunity to reach out in faith to Him. And so if this morning you know that there's an area of healing that you need in your life, it may be physical, but it may be relational, it may be sexual, it may be uh, emotional, it may be psychological, it could be anything, but you know that you need God to touch you in that area of your life, then I want you to stand where you are this morning. That's you pushing through the crowd and saying, that's me. I want you just to stand up right where you are and I'm going to pray for you. Why don't you just lift your hands up in front of you like we did earlier on and just put your palms up and then just say, Lord, Lord, I receive. Father, I want to pray for these people that are standing up before you right now. God, you know their lives and you know the areas that they need you to touch them 
in. And Father, we ask, Holy Spirit of God, would you just touch their hearts right now? They're not responding to me. They're not responding to us. They're responding to you. This is between you and them. And so God, I pray by the Spirit of Jesus, by the Spirit of Jesus, Lord, would you touch their lives? I pray in Jesus' name. Father, would you set them free? I pray that you'd start that process of healing within their lives right now in Jesus' name. And those especially who've prayed for this issue many, many times before, Father, would you bring fresh life into them in Jesus' name? Would you encourage them and strengthen them? And Lord, I pray that even right now they would know your smile on their face. They would hear the words daughter and son. Because whenever you see faith of this kind, your heart is absolutely thrilled. Lord, your heart is absolutely thrilled whenever you see faith of this kind that doesn't give up, that keeps persevering, that asks and keeps on asking, that seeks and keeps on seeking, that knocks and keeps on knocking. Whenever you see it, you're thrilled. And whenever you see it, you do respond and something happens. Lord, we don't know what happens all the time, but something happens. And Father, we receive it right now in Jesus' name. Amen.